But I want to encourage you this morning that wherever you are with respect to your prayer life, the Lord God intends for prayer to be a gift and not a discouragement. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. I'm glad to have uh, Ben Jaquo with us here this morning. Uh, he's one of the pastors over at Community Baptist in South Bend. Uh, we've had some of their other pastors here before to preach with us, um, Joe as well as Sean. So it's glad to have Ben with us this morning. Uh, and I'll go ahead and invite him to come up and up and preach. We're going to be in Matthew 6 as we continue on with the series that you all are working through. I love how Pastor Kyle put it, a little health check on prayer. And I love that this happens on a uh, seems like an annual basis or semi-annual, and uh, grateful to be concluding, I think, that uh, series as we look at prayers of supplication. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, a familiar passage of Scripture. I was thinking about this as I was meditating on this passage of Scripture. The proverb goes, familiarity breeds contempt. But I think that for the life of the believer looking at God's word, familiarity breeds greater and greater delight, does it not? And so as we look at God's word, I am grateful and anticipating the joy of looking at truth with fresh eyes to meditate on it together to hear what God has for us. Now, I have to tell you, my my brother, I have a brother who is also a pastor, and he has a particular philosophy that if he's ever filling a pulpit for a senior pastor, he goes long on purpose because his goal is he's going to make you so grateful when your senior pastor gets back. <laughs> now, I, I think that I'm going to try and be good, but bear with me if I don't you know, have your, your rhythm for services down. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number six. And uh, before we get into it, I want to just uh, have you think about something with me. I remember when I was a teenager, we took a trip with my family to visit some of our relatives in another state. I grew up just outside of the Charlotte area of North Carolina, and we just lived just across the border in South Carolina, but it was the greater Charlotte metro area. And uh, we had some relatives, an aunt and uncle, some cousins about our age, and my, my, my age, my siblings' age, uh, down in Georgia in the Atlanta area. And so we'd go down four or five hour drive to visit them every now and then have a good time. I remember when I was a teenager though, making one particular trip and my cousin who lived there in Georgia was just starting to learn to drive, but he wasn't just learning to drive, he had his permit and he was learning to drive stick shift. Now there's learning to drive and then there's learning to drive stick shift. As I'm saying this, you right now, can feel what it's like to be in the car with a student driver learning stick shift. Now, I have a confession. I've never learned how to drive stick shift. I know. It, <laughs> I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit, that phrase, love to cover every sin. Uh, and I, we just never had a vehicle that was stick shift growing up. I wanted to learn. I really did. My intentions, my heart was in the right place. I wanted it, but we just never had the opportunity. But I remember specifically being in the car with my cousin. And man, you talk about start and stop on a dime. 
in ways that car was never intended to start and stop. Sometimes you get going, you feel like you have a lot of momentum, but the red lights are against you. You pull up to the red light and what happens? Boy, if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna stall out. And it better not be on an incline, because if you're on an incline stalling out, you got problems and all the people behind you also have your problems. And so often, as we think about prayer and the life of the believer, I, I think that very often our prayer lives can be this way. You know, that prayer, we know that it is, as one pastor put it, the noblest activity of the soul of the Christian. Something that we aspire to, and perhaps we respect more than any other Christian, the Christian who has a vibrant life of prayer. And yet it's entirely possible that our own experiences in prayer as we work at it feel more like the starting and stopping of learning to drive stick shift. And that as we consider again the subject of prayer, I trust and I hope that it's more than an annual sense of the conviction of the Spirit that I'm such a failure with regards to prayer. But I want to encourage you this morning that wherever you are with respect to your prayer life, the Lord God intends for prayer to be a gift and not a discouragement. Prayer is an opportunity for us. It is a powerful means by which God works in our lives and in the lives of other people. And so as we come to God's word this morning, one of my goals as we just look at try to understand what God's word says is that you and I would not be discouraged. But as our Lord taught us in another passage of scripture, that men would always pray and not faint. So with that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter number six. We're going to begin reading in verse number five, but our time in the word is going to really focus in on just verses nine to 13. But we'll begin in chapter, uh, chapter six, verse number five, as we begin. Our Lord says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mentioned a moment ago that we're going to focus in our text just on verses 9 to 13. There's more than enough there that we'll be hard-pressed for time just with verses 9 through 13. There are three main points that I want us to consider in the message today. Very simply... First, the question, why do we pray? The question, why do we pray? The second point we'll consider, to whom do we pray? 
And then the third point, and this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time, for what do we pray? Some of this will bear some overlap with what's gone before in your studies, but as it's here in the text, I want us to get a handle on this. And we'll go through these points again as we come to them. But for the very first point this morning, I want us to consider for a brief moment, why do we pray? We could put it another way. What is the purpose of prayer? What's the purpose of prayer? What good does it do? I've mentioned before this morning that often we can become discouraged in our prayer lives. So I would like to just take a moment and highlight a few of the blessings and results of prayer just as a point of motivation to you all this morning. The first purpose of prayer that I want to highlight for us is that prayer aligns our hearts with the will of God. Prayer accomplishes the purpose of aligning our hearts with the will of God. I want you to consider something in the context of the Lord's Prayer. Would you just with your eyes scan down over each of those requests and I want you to notice that everything for which we are commanded to pray by the Lord, he has promised already to us in another portion of his word. Think about that very first request, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are to pray, we are commanded to pray that God would glorify his name, that he would make his name holy. And in John chapter number 12, in verses 27 and 28, Jesus prays, Now is my soul troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. An analogous prayer to what we have here in the Lord's Prayer. But then listen to this. In verse 28 of John 12, Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Friends, there is a promise attached to the request we are commanded to pray. We're commanded to pray that his kingdom would come. But we have been told declaratively that his kingdom is at hand. Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And even just the most shallow reading of the book of Revelation is enough to convince any believer that the Lord God reigns. Friends, this request that we are commanded to pray for, we have every confidence that the Lord will bring it to pass. He commands us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. By now, though, your brains are already going, and you know that this is something the Lord has also promised. In Ephesians 1.11, we read, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Friends, everything that happens in life comes about by the will of God. So as we pray for God's will to be done on earth the same way that it is in heaven, guess what? We know that it will happen. He commands us to pray for daily bread. But as we read just now in our own scripture reading at the beginning of the service, we're commanded not to worry because all of our physical needs will be provided by our Heavenly Father. 
He says, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. The Gentiles are seeking these things. You don't need to worry about this. Why? Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. What should you do instead? Focus your energies on seeking the kingdom of God. All these things, they will be added to you. I love how nonchalant that promise is. As though the Lord's not concerned about the food on the table. Not because it's not concerning or because you don't need it, but because your heavenly Father has promised it to you. He values you so much more than sparrows, as we learn in the scriptures. Friends, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, we're commanded to pray for the forgiveness of our debts. We're going to learn that this is an equivalent statement to praying for the forgiveness of our sins. To pray that those things which we have done, which are wrong in the eyes of the Lord, that God would cleanse us. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 promises, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Every one of them. All the sins you committed yesterday. All the sins you commit today. All the sins you commit tomorrow. Friends, if you're in Christ, the cleansing that you pray for has been provided by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're also commanded, finally, to pray for deliverance from evil. We are told to pray that the evil one would not have his way with us. Friends, 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises us, No temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man. And with the temptation, God will what? Provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Because as the writer of the epistle tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Some of you might be thinking, though, well, if God has already promised everything for which we are commanded to pray, then what's the point of the prayer? Friends, you and I often have a very different idea of what we ought to pray for than what God does. And so when we pray the way our Lord teaches us to pray, it aligns our hearts with the will of God. Isn't this an encouragement to you? To know that God has bound the answers to prayer with his own promises. Don't you know that God can't lie? What a comfort it is to all of our prayers and all of our hardships that we have a God of all comfort who has promised with regard to every need. We also have a few other encouragements to prayer. Prayer also accomplishes the purpose of acknowledging, helping us to acknowledge our dependence on an all-powerful, all-good God. Friends, you and I rarely like asking for help from people. It's been that way since we were a child. If you've ever been around a preschooler, the one thing that they cannot abide is you doing it for them. They want to do everything for themselves. 
You could have a drill press and you could be working with heavy machinery and the three-year-old be like, no, I do it, I do it. <laughs> and friends, when we go to the Lord in prayer, it helps us to recognize our own weakness and our own finiteness. Friends, wouldn't it be foolish not to go to the all-powerful one, to the almighty for what we need? When we go to the Lord and ask him for our requests, it teaches us to acknowledge our dependence on him and to have faith in his great power. When we go to the Lord in prayer, it also accomplishes the purpose of allowing us to enjoy fellowship that God grants. When we heard just now that those who draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to them. Prayer is the way that we do this, friends. We draw nigh to him through our understanding and belief in the scriptures and through the time that we spend in that secret place with the Lord alone. Friends, it also accomplishes, finally, the purpose of helping us to receive the things asked for. This is an amazing thing because prayer makes a difference in the will of God. A lot of people will try and ask questions like, well, if God's in control of all things, do my prayers make any difference? Well, they certainly do. Friends, God is perfectly sovereign. He accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. And yet your prayers make a difference. Have you ever had maybe like a young child been working with a grandchild or uh, a young child in the home who is just learning to write for the first time? And they're struggling to get that grip on the writing utensil, that marker, or that pen, or that pencil. And so what do you do to help them? You come and you put your hand around their hand. And you use their hand and their pen to help them form those letters. In that moment, the power, the control, the direction comes from you helping to guide that little hand. And yet the instrument that was used was truly their arm, their muscles, their pen or pencil. And friends, our prayers are used like that by our powerful God. God has decided by his own will that there are many things in our lives he will accomplish only through our prayers. Not because our prayers are powerful, but because our powerful God uses our prayers like that marker or that pencil that he wraps his hand around and writes his story with in the pages of our lives. Friends, we have many encouragements to pray, to go to the Lord with our needs, with our requests. And this brings us to the second big question that we're asking of ourselves this morning and of this text. Not only why do we pray, but we also ask to whom do we pray? Pastor Kyle covered this a couple of weeks ago, I believe, and the way he described prayers of adoration and confession. He mentioned this passage of Scripture that we come to the Lord with intimacy, but not flippantly. We come to the Lord boldly, but we come with reverence. And that's what's intimated in the very beginning, kind of the preamble, you might call it, when it says, Our Father in heaven. Friends, for Jewish people in the first century to call God their father would have sounded horribly brash and presumptive. It would have sounded to them shocking. And yet, friends, our Lord actually encourages us, teaches us to call him this. 
It's almost like when you have the opportunity to meet someone that you have admired from a distance for a long time, and you come up to them and you, you get some time to spend with them, you meet with them, hello, it's so good to see you, Mr. So-and-so, you say respectfully, and they say to you, just call me, and they say their first name, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> There's something of that to our prayers when we call God our Father. Do you remember when John wrote in his epistle, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. I love how much wonder is in the apostle's pen as he writes that. Can't you just hear his tone of voice? How overawed he is at the privilege of being able to approach the creator of the universe as his own father. That we get to be called the children of God. Doesn't this also remind you of the beginning of John's gospel when we're told that as many as received him, to as many as believed in his name, he gave the authority to be called children of God. Oh, friends, what riches we have through Jesus Christ that we call God even our Father. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a great person that we address in our prayers, and yet we are told in the same phrase that this one that we call our Father is in heaven. He is transcendent. It is around his throne that the angels continually circle, crying out to one another that the preaching may always go on, that the Lord our God is a holy God, that he is apart from everything else, that when God says, there is no God beside me, what he means is not merely that there's no contest between myself and Baal or myself and Ashtoreth. What he's saying is there's no such other thing as a God except for me. I am unique. I am the only one of my kind. I am infinite and all-powerful. Solomon prayed when he dedicated this temple, Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you how much less this place that we've built. Friends, these are the two balls we keep in the air. As finite people, to the very best of our ability, we're always reminding ourselves that the God we approach is unique. He's other than us. He's holy. His power is immeasurable. And yet we come boldly through Jesus Christ, calling him by the Spirit's power, Abba, Father. This is the one to whom we pray. We pray to our Father who's in heaven. And so we quickly come to the third question that we're going to ask, and this is really where we will spend the bulk of our time as we consider these requests under this topic of prayers of supplication. So our final question that we ask here is, for what do we pray? For what do we pray? There are many ways that this particular prayer can be outlined, can be subdivided, can be thought about. I would encourage you to come up with a way of thinking about how to group these prayer requests. There are parallels. There are overlaps. This is fruit for meditation. There's plenty here for us. But I just want to very simply kind of cut it down the middle because I think there's a pretty clear break between the first three prayer requests 
and the second three prayer requests. The first grouping I'm going to call prayers for God's glory. That would be verses 9 and 10. Prayers for God's glory. Requests for God's glory. Supplications for God's glory. And then, in a moment, after we think through that division, we'll look at verses 11 to 13, where we're taught to pray requests for our good. So that in our prayers, we pray both for God's glory and for our good. And friends, again, isn't this also attached with the promise? Don't we learn that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his good purpose? Friends, God has decided to bring himself glory in and with our good. And so we pray for both And we'll think of it that way. So first of all, let's think about the glory of God that we pray for. We pray for God's glory. Three requests here. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That first request, hallowed be your name. In ancient times, names were given great significance. They were seen as a window into the life of the person. You can see this just even as you think about your knowledge of the Old Testament. How many people had their names changed to reflect a new stage of their life? Abram had his name changed to Abraham. And the reason for that was he went from being an exalted father to being the father of many nations. Friends, there's something true about Abraham that needed to be reflected in his name. We tend not to uh, pick names as much this way today. Sometimes names have meanings, family names, or we like the particular history behind a particular name. Holly and I, my wife, we have a little one who's just, uh, just four months old, and his name is Justice. And Justice, J-U-S-T-U-S, is a Latin word that means justified, or it means to make just, or something along those lines. Um, but we didn't pick it for that. We just picked it because we thought it sounded cool. We liked it a lot. <laughs> Like, that's a good name. I like that name. Let's do that one. And we're like, okay, that's a good name. Let's name our son that. That is not at all how people in the first century thought about names. Often they would wait a long time to name their child. Can you imagine having a baby in your house for a long time and just saying, well, baby this, baby that, and uh, we'll name him sometime down the road, but we haven't quite settled on anything yet. But this is the mindset because they wanted the name to be significant. They wanted to see something of the personality behind that person so that the name would be appropriate. You think of Jacob, whose name was Trickster. You remember this? And how even our Lord changed Simon's name to Peter because he made a particular confession that was the foundation of much to come. Rock. On this rock I will build my church. So friends, as we consider hallowed be your name, we need to recognize that this is more than a plea for people not to say, oh my, and then use the name of God in a blasphemous way. Rather, what we're looking at, which includes that but goes beyond it, is to ask that God would cause his glory and his attributes to be recognized with humility by all people. We're praying that people would approach God in the way that the glory of his attributes deserves. 
the literal kind of really wooden idea behind this in the original languages is that God would sanctify his name in the hearts of people. That people all over the world, when they hear the name of God, they would submit themselves in reverence and in faith and in obedience to the greatness of God. We are instructed to pray for God's name to be exalted and for his good and sovereign character to be recognized. We're further commanded to pray that his kingdom would come. This request is is similar to hallowed be your name. The first request, we prayed that God's character would be treated with the reverence and worship it deserves. Your kingdom come prays that God, his purposes to unite all things in Christ would be accomplished. You could think of it as praying the same request kind of from both ends. We pray that people would respond to God's holy character in faith and obedience. We also pray that God would bring this about by causing people to submit to his rule and reign. In a breath, we pray that people would know and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God would come in their hearts. That they would recognize the holiness of God and worship him as their Lord. The third prayer request here in these prayers for God's glory is that your will would be done. Again, there's overlap here with the other requests. To pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that God would be consistently and fully obeyed by man, and simultaneously that all of God's good purposes for his creation will be brought to completion. Lord, everything that you've planned, bring it to pass. We want whatever you want. Friends, this is the heart cry of our Lord in the garden, was it not? Here is a great trial that lies before me, our Lord prays. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Friends, as we think about this group, these three requests in 9 and 10 for God's glory, I want us to consider just a couple of applications. These first three requests should reflect the strongest desire of every Christian. If somebody came and asked you in a spiritual context and said, what is the greatest desire of your heart? These three requests should be your answer. At the very deepest level, the very core of your being should be this insatiable longing that God's name would be sanctified by everyone and yourself at the top of the list. Friends, are your prayers most concerned with the glory of God or with the ease of your life? Friends, sometimes to pray for God's glory with true sincerity is to sacrifice your comfort in your actions. How is it that we can pray sincerely for the glory of God and yet ignore the people we work with every day in gospel witness? How can we pray for God's kingdom to come when we could not care less how our persecuted brothers and sisters in other countries bear the testimony of the Lord Jesus under the threat of persecution? 
How can we pray sincerely for the Lord's will to be done when in reality what we mean is, Lord, your will be done except in those places where it hurts the most in my life. Friends, are you willing to desire the glory of God at every cost? Because to merely pray these things is no passive action. That we pray it and let God work, we have to pray with hearts of surrender to however God may apply that in our lives. Friends, that's a test of daily faith, is it not? It's a scary thing to pray, not my will but yours be done. What trials might the Lord bring into our lives to sanctify or make holy his name in our hearts as we pray that? Friends, this is the way that we can, as James says, have joy when various trials come upon us. So friends, let me encourage you. If you've come to see a vision of the glory of God as it's revealed in Scripture, your heart as a Christian should desire that that vision would be made manifest throughout the world and would result in obedience to our King. But in order to pray that well, we have to start with a surrender in our own hearts, don't we? Another application from these first requests is that it teaches us really the heart of what missions is all about. To pray that God's name would be sanctified and treated as holy is to pray that people all over the world would come to Christ. To pray that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done, is to pray that people from every tribe, nation, and language would be brought to worship at the throne of the Lamb. Friends, when you pray for your Roman Catholic neighbor, pray that God would sanctify his name in their hearts that his kingdom would overtake them, that they would come to a heart of true worship. The same would be true of the missionaries that you pray for, hopefully on a regular basis, even the people sitting around you right now. The second group of prayer requests that we have this morning are prayer requests that we make for our good. And just as a side comment, I meant to mention this earlier, but these requests are a template we fill these things in according to the needs of our lives with this as kind of a model. We pray for these things with greater uh, detail. We pray for these things in uh, greater exposition. In fact, uh, how many of you are uh, familiar with Matthew Henry, the great commentator on the Bible? He had a lesser known work called A Way to Pray, in which he writes out biblical prayers that are based in God's word. I found it to be a huge help in my own life as I've considered how the Lord would have me to grow in prayer, and I would recommend it to you as well. But let's think about the prayers that we now pray for our good. That first request, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we do know something of need, do we not? We know the something of pressure. Many of us have, for greater or shorter periods of time, had the experience of living paycheck to paycheck. We know what it is to have to make it stretch to the end of the month. And so this can apply to us in a very real way. But even in the first century, it was perhaps an even greater burden and daily necessity. It was common in that day for day laborers to be paid not weekly or bi-weekly, but every single day. And there's no welfare. There's no social security. If you're a Jew living in Palestine very likely there was no guarantee that food would be on the table on any given day. You have food on Tuesday, great. The next day, 
the exact same need is before you. Because just because you had food on Tuesday does not guarantee you would have food on Wednesday. And so this request is first and foremost that God would provide for our material needs, the things that we need as people. There's a few things that we need to recognize just from this one request. The first is that God cares about your physical needs. Sometimes as Christians, you and I might be tempted to downplay our physical needs. We might be tempted to think thoughts like, well, I don't need to bother God with these prayer requests. He has better things to take care of. He has more important things on his mind. Friends, there's no need that's too small for God. God has never been nor ever will be upset when you ask him to provide for your physical needs. So pray for the health of your loved ones. Pray for your physical needs to be met. Pray for small needs throughout your day. Pray for long-term, larger requests and needs as they happen. Pray for comfort and relief during trials. Pray for God to grant help and relief in difficulty. God hears and cares for all these things. We should also always pray for God to provide for us even when we don't feel the need. Let me put it to you in the form of a question. At what point of your life do you no longer need God to provide for your daily needs? Very often, our hope is in the prosperity of our country. Friends, do you realize that no matter the job you have, no matter what your employer has promised you by way of benefits, no matter what investments that you have made, you have never been nor ever will be outside of the need for God to provide for you daily. Do you remember how the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that, I think it's in the book of Colossians, that he upholds all things by the word of his power? Do you remember how the apostle preached in the book of Acts that it's in him that we live and move and have our being? <laughs> Friends, every breath is the provision of your daily bread. And so at what point, on which day, at what time of the year do you not need the provision of a gracious God? Friends, don't cease praying for your needs merely because you don't feel the same emotional weight that you did during tax season or holiday shopping. Oh, we all have to make things stretch a little bit more at this time of year, don't we? Friends, we always are in need of God to provide for our our needs. One final thought. Our hearts often become convinced of what we think our needs are. I mentioned this earlier, but give us this day our daily bread is a verse that teaches us contentment. Do you remember how Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content? But he goes on, does he not? And that's really the scary verse. I know how to be abased, and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned this secret. Dear friends, to pray for our daily bread is to acknowledge that we could do with a lot less and God would still be a faithful God. Pray for God to provide for your needs. And then, if you're brave, Pray that God would teach you what those needs really are.
Let's go on to this next phrase, forgive us our debts. Here we have a prayer for the forgiveness of our sins. And I won't spend a lot of time here because I know Pastor Kyle covered this a couple of weeks ago in his uh, message on prayers of confession. But I would like to remind you of two things from this. First of all, we stand in need of cleansing from our daily sins. You and I, though we have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, yet the daily relationship in which we live and move with our God requires the maintenance of asking for God to cleanse us. Now this, as a second observation, is only possible for those who have a saving relationship through Jesus Christ already. Friends, I've met many people with whom I've tried to share the gospel, and I ask them a question like, have you ever trusted Christ before? And they say, oh yes, every night before I go to bed, I pray that God would forgive my sins. But this person never goes to church, they never read the Bible, their knowledge of the gospel is you know, minimal at best. <laughs> Friends, it is not the praying for the forgiveness of our sins that saves us, it's rather faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And on that basis, a person then comes to God on a daily basis for the cleansing of daily sins. Friends, it's entirely possible that a person could go to church for years and years and years and think that because they pray, they are a Christian. Rather than recognizing that no one is a Christian who has not, first of all, trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. Friends, have you ever done that? Have you ever moved in your heart beyond merely reciting a prayer to God and expecting him to fix it, to actually recognizing the sinfulness and hopelessness of your state before a holy God? and placing your trust in Jesus alone to cleanse you and redeem you from your sins. Friends, no matter who you are, whether you're a longtime church member or whether you're a visitor, if there's something about that that's kind of stirring in your heart or you have some questions about that, what that distinction is to truly be a Christian, I would love to talk with you after the service. Pastor Brandon would love to talk with you after the service. Any of the men who are up here praying and reading the scriptures, making the announcements, they would love to talk with you after the service and show you from the scriptures how you can know for sure that praying for the forgiveness of your sins is founded on the true and finished work of Jesus Christ. The next request, and this will take us to the end, is the prayer that we would not be led into temptation, but delivered from the evil one. It says that in verse number 13. This final request is kind of a dual request. They're two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, we pray that God would preserve us from tempting situations. And on the other hand, we pray that Satan would not have his way with us. This helps us express dependence on God to overcome evil that attacks us from within and evil that assaults us from without. Friends, there's nowhere you can go where sin does not follow you. There's something in our lives, and I think especially when we're younger, we have this idea of, I'll move to another place and get a clean start. I'll get a blank slate. Get a new chance at life. There's one problem with that. 
you're going there. And you're taking with you a horrible weight of sin. Friends, you and I invent ways to sin. Our heart is a factory of idols. Friends, if we lived as many tried to do in days gone by in the church, if we decided to go out into the desert and live in a monastery, we would find ways to sin with sand. <laughs> the sin that we take with us is an evil that cannot be overcome by circumstances, by location, or even by willpower. You need God to help you. What does the book of Galatians teach us? Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other, so that you can't do the things that you wish. You have a rough life. But when we pray that God would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, he delights to answer that request. There's a speedy answer from God when we pray with a sincere, dependent heart, God, save me now from the evil that is within. Now, friends, we must guard against the idea that this request will instantly recover all of the spirituality of Christ-likeness in our hearts so that the temptation just immediately goes away and poof, we're holy. These are, again, daily requests. God, I need you to sanctify me right now. Help me. And friends, it's that moment by moment walking in the Spirit, praying for God to do His will in our hearts that over time produces the fruits of the Spirit that overcomes the lusts of the flesh. Martin Luther encourages our hearts with his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Do you remember the words of that stanza? The devil walks about us like a roaring lion, the Bible teaches us. Temptation comes from within. But the reformer writes, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Friends, do you ever become weary of the constant struggle with sin and temptation? Do not quit the fight. God has promised every resource for your victory. Go to him with your words and ask him for help. Beg him that he would forgive sins past and that he would provide for your future victory. Approach your heavenly father knowing that he will answer each request for grace over sin with a resounding yes. He will provide everything necessary for a life that rejects all the temptations of the world and resists the devil. And so, pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and pray it with hope. So friends, as we conclude, just a few basic thoughts on this prayer that our Lord teaches us. Let me just offer you 
a few concluding counsels, advice, encouragements as we go from here. First, I want to encourage you just very practically two kinds of prayers. I want to encourage you to pray at set times during the day. I think it is biblical that we pray before every meal. It's another opportunity to give thanks, as we were taught last week by Pastor Brandon, for needs provided. We pray God provide for our daily bread, and lo and behold, steak and shake in front of us. (laughs) Thank you, God. You answered prayer. You've been so kind to us. Heavenly Father, we need you to provide, and look at what you did. Thank you. Would you please do your best never to pray a thoughtless prayer before the meal? Sometimes we get together in each other's homes, we fellowship together, sometimes we have church fellowships, and that dreaded moment of, brother so-and-so, would you please thank the Lord for this meal this evening? And the nerves set in, and we kind of stumble through our typical lunch prayer or something of that nature. Can I just encourage you? The next time you have a meal like that and you bow your head with your spouse or with brothers and sisters in Christ or even in the lunchroom at the place where you work, before you begin praying, just take a moment and remember that this is something provided by God to meet your needs. And then thank him for it. Thank you, God. What a good father you are. Pray at set times. Pray with your Bible reading. One old pastor made the comment that it is the Bible that creates our prayer life. I once heard a person say that they had a very vibrant prayer life, but they never read the Bible. And I somewhat doubt the vibrancy of a prayer life that doesn't read the Bible. Because it is the Bible that teaches us what to pray. As the title of this whole series has been, Praying the Bible. So pray at set times before meals. Pray with your Bible reading and meditation every day and let your scripture reading and meditation prompt those prayers out of you as you read and as you study. But also, work at the discipline of praying throughout the day. Work at the discipline, as Pastor Kyle said, of carrying on that conversation with God. What a wonderful advice that is from him to teach us not merely just the formal aspect of prayer, but the relational discipline of it. Friends, I also want to encourage you with this thought. Never downplay the great help and glory of prayer ministry. There's a temptation as we get into later seasons of our life when our activity and abilities are limited, to think there's not much left I can do for God and for the church. Friends, your prayers are the greatest work. Never think lowly of a faithful prayer ministry. For you younger people, Don't wait until you're older to have a vibrant prayer ministry with your church. You realize that 
you are being a servant of God to the people around you when you pray for them. Let me encourage you that when you pray for someone specific in this church, send them a text message, tell them that you prayed for them. When you all meet together for lunch or you speak in the lobby after a service and a need comes up, whether intentionally or maybe it just kind of happened, it came out in conversation, take time then and there to pray. I know that can kind of seem awkward, but doesn't it seem silly that it's awkward for Christians to pray with Christians? Shouldn't that be the most natural thing in the world that believers pray with believers? Friends, let's do that, that we would have a ministry with each other by praying with each other and for each other spontaneously at set times throughout the day. Don't downplay the glory and help of a prayer ministry. And then finally, I want to encourage you that in all of your prayers, pray with great hope. As I mentioned before at the beginning, everything for which we are commanded to pray, every category of prayer that our Lord has given us perfectly, wisely, there's a promise attached to it. It's a promise for your provision. And so when you pray for God to make his glory known, when you pray for the advance of the gospel in difficult places of the world, when you pray for your loved ones, when you pray for your needs to be met, when you pray that God would cleanse you and sanctify you from that sinful habit, when you pray that he would deliver you from the assault of the evil one, everything is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.